Hey everybody. Hey y'all. Welcome to episode one of the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are so excited you're joining us on this new adventure for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. We are going to be sharing from our hearts, sharing about our story, our kind of journey through mental health. And uh, mm. um, as a family member, as someone in our family, as Stacy, who struggles with mental health issues. And that's our goal and our purpose. We want to bring you hope. We want to bring um, just a, a feeling of, of belonging and not feeling alone in this journey because we've certainly felt that way before. Yeah, we've been so excited about this. I think everywhere we've gone, we've written down more ideas on napkins, on our hands, on sticky notes, just because we wanted to be prepared um, to live in community with you as you may be going through mental illness yourself or know somebody that is um, dealing with this um, problem or this challenge. We're actually reading off some napkins right now. So yes, we are. We are uh, <laughs> we are uh, using the uh, the napkin note taking method, and uh, some of my best notes have been on napkins. So I'm, I think we're off to a good start. Uh, a little bit about us, Stacy. Um, maybe you've been following her uh, previously. She has a speakoutloud.me blog, which for a number of years now she's been writing and speaking about her recovery through uh, some mental health issues, which we're going to talk a lot more about and which she's going to share more about. Uh, That also has some outlets on social media, so maybe you've seen some of what she's written or seen about her story on the Speak Out Loud Facebook page, possibly on the Speak Out Loud Instagram page. Stacy's also written a wonderful book, and I am certainly an unbiased uh, (laughs) recommender of her book, but a wonderful book called You Are Worth Saving, Letters of Hope from a Desperate Heart. And it's a book that just, um, it really is that. It's 30 short chapters. They're each letters to the reader, just sharing her heart from her recovery, her heart uh, just of of faith. And I think more than anything, her heart to encourage others as maybe they walk along a similar journey or maybe a journey that's very different. But um, shameless plug, there's still time. We're recording this here in early December there is still time to uh, order and get it off Amazon or barnesandnoble.com in time for Christmas. So if you have a loved one in your life or maybe you yourself would uh, think you'd benefit from this story in this book, hey, pick it up. I think it'd be a great addition to your library and something that'd be very encouraging to you. Something else that we're going to be doing in the new year is I'm going to be reading my book um, so that it can be sold as an audio book. And uh, some of you don't care for reading, but you want some information and you want some encouragement. So that's another way that you can get that. One thing that we have found about mental illness is that it is very much uh, misunderstood. And it has been a longer road than we ever knew that we could travel. We have been um, very alone in it many times and then as we have uh, perhaps shared more of our story we've had people come alongside us but we don't want you to perhaps feel like we have felt at different times just out of people not knowing what to do it's not been anything intentional but it's just a scary thing to embark on and so that's one of our main prefaces for wanting to share with you um, as often as we possibly can about what our life has been like. Yeah, our goal is to come to you on a week-ish basis. We have high aspirations of trying to get uh, you know something routinely out via the podcast. Um, we, are, we are learning in this process, so we know and invite you to learn along with us as we uh, start this journey. 
one of the things that Stacy said, you know, in, in off our napkin notes as we were talking over uh, a meal earlier today and just thinking through what we we're going to share on this episode one, was just how isolating and isolated mental illness can be. And I think that's a big part of our story, and Stacy certainly felt that way. I felt that way as her husband, as a family member that's, that's tried to walk this journey with her. There's been a lot that we're going to talk about and share that, that I've had to learn, and still I don't proclaim myself to be one that fully knows or fully understands, but hopefully um, I'm a much better and stronger supporter for her uh, now than I was when we first started this journey. Uh, one thing we want to make clear, we are not therapists. We are not counselors. No. <laughs> so we we have high respect for them. They've, they've played a huge role in our life and Stacy's life. So certainly um, they are a very valuable part of our team. And we hope to maybe, maybe bring a few of those in to talk to them and interview them as part of our podcast down the road. But uh, we're not that. So we're not here to provide professional counsel to be um, some sort of an online, over-the-air therapist. Uh, We're here to share our journey, and that's something we do feel like we know really well. And uh, we're teaming together now because we know that we have felt hopeless at many times along the way, and we know that maybe you, as you listen, if you're someone who struggles with a mental illness or a mental health challenge, or if you're a loved one, a, a spouse, a a son or a daughter, a parent, uh, just even a friend possibly, that you may be feeling that same sense of hopelessness. And we will have accomplished our purpose in this podcast if we can help you not feel hopeless. One of the best definitions of the word encourage I have ever heard is simply to break it down into its two parts, encourage. It's to put courage into somebody else. And so as we hope to encourage you, We hope that we can put courage into you to walk the recovery journey. I think for me, as I've observed Stacy's recovery, it has been one of the most courageous things I've ever witnessed in my entire life, probably the most courageous thing I've ever witnessed in my entire life. And so we know it takes courage, and we know it takes courage for you to love someone that has the struggle. And so we want to maybe just on a weekly or weekish, as we said, basis, put some courage into you by by just sharing a little bit about our story. So that's really a good place to start. And that's where we want to start tonight is our story and let you know a little bit more about us. So Stacy, why don't we jump in and do that? And why don't we go back to college days for us? Because that's where we first met and that's where our story together begins. But also it was a big uh, probably part for your mental health journey as well. So share a little bit about that. Well, Right when I started college, my parents had just gotten divorced after 25 years of marriage. And honestly, um, I didn't really know where I belonged. I didn't know what to do. I felt very lonely. I didn't want people to know what I'd just gone through because really in the circles that I was in, in a private university, a private Christian university, that wasn't really something that was talked about. Divorce. Divorce. mental illness, uh, you know, a lot of dysfunction in the family. Um, And I know everybody had it. It just wasn't really talked about it. I talked about. So by the time I got into college, I was really searching for uh, relationships to replace the ones that I had just lost. My dad was a minister when I was growing up. We were in churches that we had been surrounded by people who loved us largely, and I was just really lonely. And so 
I got into a group of friends at, at, at university, and we really started to uh, live in community. And something that I really want to drive home during this podcast is we are big believers in living in community. It's scriptural to live in community. Jesus had a community. Those were his disciples. And so that is not something that we were meant as people to do, is do life alone. And so as God started to um, surround me by people who absolutely loved him and wanted what was best for me, I began to really see that I was becoming more introverted instead of the extroverted person that I had already been, and that was scaring me. I started to eat less. I started to be less social, even though I was involved in homecoming and um, the BSM, you know, the Baptist Student Ministry and missions and all of these things and just having a huge friend group. I don't think anybody realized really what was going on with me when I would get into my room, into my dorm room at night. I think so, that's something in, in part of our story is that we were friends all four years of college but didn't date till our senior year. But looking back as Stacy's friend, I didn't know these things about her life. I didn't know that uh, she was going through probably what you would say Stacy was the beginnings of some depression. Definitely. Definitely. And depression wasn't new to me. Talking about it was new to me. Um, depression went way back in my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family. It was just dealt with differently. And so I didn't really know how to even start the conversation. And so we, um, I tried my best when Doug and I did start dating to explain to him what was going on in my heart and mind, that as a Christian, I knew that I needed to spend time in the Word of God and that I needed to um, surround myself with Christian um, people who uh, love the Lord. But other than that, I didn't really know how to describe to him what was going on. I do know that I was learning that my emotions were directly connected to my ability to eat. And so that was a really big sign um, early on that those two were together. Some people, when they're upset or scared or um, something's going on that they don't understand, can eat a whole thing of cookies. Well, for me, I do the opposite. I don't eat at all. And so just two different ways of dealing with it doesn't mean you have an eating disorder, but those are two opposite ways that people have dealt with things, and I was finding that out about myself. And I think for us, I came from a diff very different background. We, we really did come from different backgrounds, though we were at the same uh, small Christian college. Um, I can re distinctly remember probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years old, being at a family gathering, and um, someone was missing from our family gathering, and I kind of asked, just innocently asked, hey, where's so-and-so? And my mother, I, I distinctly remember this from years ago, kind of hushed me and, and basically said, hey, we don't, we're not going to talk about that. And, and years later, I found out that that person had been having kind of a mental health crisis. So I learned early on that those kind of issues, those kind of things, hey, you don't talk about them. So I think that was where I came from, and so I didn't have an understanding of mental health. I didn't have an understanding of mental illness. Was coming alongside Stacy. We were falling in love. We were dating. We were moving towards uh, an eventual marriage. So we are learning about each other, loving each other, but also these things are beginning to pop up, and it's like, well, how do we deal with this? So even early on, we were 
we were kind of naively as young 20-somethings who, who really loved each other, um, just trying to figure this out, figure out our relationship, but also figure out, well, how do we deal with that? And that kind of brings us to um, jumping ahead a little bit. So we, we got married right after college and um, a few years into our marriage had a surprise pregnancy. And uh, that surprise pregnancy ended uh, several months later in a miscarriage. And really a devastating time for us both. I think in many ways we were both not equipped to deal with it. I don't know if anybody's equipped to really deal with that until it happens to them. But I look back and think, well, we weren't equipped. So maybe talk a little bit about that because that became not only just something that that we each faced, but probably became because we did face it and deal with it differently, became a bit of an issue in our marriage there early on a little bit. Sure. I feel like that, um, again, this just was kind of an addition to the path that God had us on. Once again, we were in a situation where people around us did not know what to say. Once again, um, you know, I had grown up in a situation and very much at our university where you were needed to have things together and be able to at least present that way. And that's very, used to be anyway, very common in the Christian realm. Uh, You can be falling apart on the inside, but by golly, don't let anybody know that. I was the 0.1% that got pregnant on the birth control pill. And so we were wanting to wait a few years, but when we, um, when I got pregnant, we became quickly excited. But something that was going on at the same time as as that was my weight was very, very low. And at that time, I hadn't been diagnosed with another mental illness, which is considered um, a newer titled or labeled mental illness, and that is anorexia. And so I was very underweight, trying to sustain the life of a baby, which was not happening because I could barely sustain my own nutrition and weight. And so not only was it a miscarriage, but it was a miscarriage that could have been prevented in my heart and mind. And so um, that was something that Doug and I really grieved alone. We were newlyweds. We really didn't know how to go through something per se together that wasn't happy. And so, and I think that's where the isolation of, of maybe depression, which probably was really rising to the surface in that time, as well as just being overwhelmed by grief and not knowing how to deal with the grief. But that isolation um, became real because we did deal with it independently. We, uh, you know, you were probably feeling isolated because I wasn't there for you, but I would say I didn't probably know how to be there for you. And so we were learning, I was learning um, how maybe to deal with, with things that just weren't always great in life. And I had grown up pretty in a pretty good place and a pretty good life and really never had to deal with any kind of big challenge, emotional challenges like that. So, but on top of that, we should say you were teaching school. Um, so there was, you know, busy life, pressures of that, getting started in a career. I was in graduate school. Also, I was a young minister at a church and, and just a lot of history was, I think, being wrapped into that, that we didn't fully know as far as what that would look like for us. And, and maybe a lot of, um, negative experiences for you in the past from from growing up in a minister's home and, and seeing some of those things like you described where everything looks perfect on the outside but it's very broken and lots of pain and hurt on the inside. So um, yeah. so that's where we kind of were there. 
So maybe let's fast forward uh, a few more years. So then we get to our early 30s. By this time, we've been blessed. We have two young children at that time. And sir, I was serving in a church. We were serving together. Stacy was was focused on you know being a mom and parenting our kids. And some of these things that I would say probably you had been able to keep kind of under the surface and maybe keep um, kind of your thumb on as far as trying to manage them really began to turn the tables on you and, and really became probably a bit more unmanageable, mm-hmm. didn't they? I feel like kind of an ongoing theme that I really want to make sure that y'all know that we get is that in situations, in life crisis, in life situations that catch you off guard or things that you go through, one of the number one things that you are experiencing is loneliness, as we were even being young in the ministry. And the second thing is, is that we want you to know where our source of hope comes from. The church, that's not the church's responsibility. So even though we were in a ministry position and we were very loved and we loved people and we were very much a church family, um, we just needed to constantly be looking towards the hope of Jesus in this situation. I was home a lot by myself with the girls um, because Doug was working so many hours uh, as most people do in the ministry. It's, It's a very challenging job. And um, he was working very hard, and I wanted to be with him as much as possible so I would scoop our girls up and get to the church so that they could see their daddy um, sometimes during the day. And I found it that I was, I found that it was getting harder and harder for me to not want to please other people. And when I felt like I was falling short of that, I was becoming devastated instead of being able to go, well, that's their opinion. Um, that 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 depression. That you've got everything. You've got two healthy babies, and you've got anorexia. Um, you're in the ministry. You and your husband love each other. Those things meant so much to me, but they weren't helping me live. They weren't helping me want to live. That's when we really could tell that there was something going on, other than just Stacy's having a rough day. Yeah. So we get to kind of the fall of, I won't say how long ago, a nope. number of years ago. <laughs> and um, things were kind of really reaching a crisis point. And I know that uh, as we both live that together and it's become such a big part of our story, um, probably, you know, you'd been getting some counseling, but it technically wasn't maybe professional counseling on the advice of some others had just started seeing a professional counselor, had, had just started on some um, medication that probably looking back was, was based upon a misdiagnosis, unfortunately, and the medicine in some ways was making it harder on you, certainly, mm-hmm. than helping you. Yes. But by early October of that fall, we really reached a crisis point, and I think you really reached a crisis point. So maybe talk about that a little bit. With, them, with medication, it's a slippery slope. A lot of people have asked us, what is your view of medication, whether you're a Christian or not? What's your view of medication? And I would know without a doubt for me in our situation that because I have a chemical imbalance, because my mind does not form serotonin on its own, that I would not be here. Um, that's not to say, well, God's not big enough, but it's our belief that the Lord has given us medication as a gift. It makes my fight manageable 
without medication, I don't even get to start the day. And so that fall, I can just really remember uh, just being overwhelmed. The small things being overwhelmed, staying in bed in the mornings, Doug needing to get the girls off to school, uh, me eating less, me staying in bed most of the day, the girls coming home, I'm still not out of bed, much less dressed, um, things like that going on that were showing that I was really starting to slide backwards. And I, the medicine, really the way that misdiagnosis um, and medication made me feel was literally like my brain was in slow motion. And that is not, we have found out now, a medication that's even given to people who have manic depression, depression, different um, forms of that mental illness. And so it was uh, very uh, scary, I guess I would want to say, most definitely scary for me to be taking a medication and not be feeling any better. I think we had high hopes that with medication, I was going to feel better and then I could do better at fighting the anorexia. But that's not what was happening. So we were getting, as a couple, more and more afraid. And our daughters were beginning to really, uh, as little as they were, they knew mommy wasn't okay. They knew mommy was sick. And that really, really uh, has caused me a lot of guilt that the Lord's helping me work through. But that's where we were. Yeah. So I remember a night specifically where um, I think it was our oldest daughter had a gymnastics class. So I got her, took her to gymnastics, and I and I think you were going to meet me there. That was the plan mm-hmm. at least. Right. And you didn't show up. And um, I knew things were not going well. I knew you'd had a really hard day. I just was feeling very lost, didn't know how to help you. So I kind of just probably won to think I'm helping, but maybe selfishly just took the kids to get away. Not away, but to get away for the evening just to give you a little space. But it was probably more selfishly because I didn't know what to do or what to say or how to help. So I took our oldest daughter to gymnastics. Our younger daughter was was with me at the time. You were going to meet us there, but then you didn't show up. And I started getting really worried. But maybe what was going on that night? What happened? I had journals with me in my car that night. I can remember very clearly packing up a few things and put them in a backpack, uh, like my journals that I had written very angry things in. God, why is my mind like this? God, what am I doing wrong? God, how can I be here when I'm feeling so desperate and so upset and so I don't understand what's going on with my mind, so how can you expect me to want to live and be here? Um, I I want my kids to have a godly Christian mom. I want to do different, but I don't know how. All these things in journals and journals and journals that I had written down, and if I could write in any color, it was red, because I was just angry, and I was overwhelmed. And I got in the car, and... I said, you know what, if the, my primary thing, my primary emotion was anger, which is very hard for me. I don't usually get angry, but that night I was angry. I was done, for lack of a better word. And I got in the car. I knew the girls would be safe with their daddy. I um, wanted out. I wanted to be able to let the girls and Doug have a better life. I didn't 
want to continue to ruin it is really what I felt like I was doing. I was becoming more and more of a burden. People from outside of our home were needing to help us more. And I was really struggling. So I got in the car and I drove the wrong way on the road. And um, fast. And that's really all um, that I'll share about that at this time. Um, you know, at some points or um, on, you know. It's a long time ago. But yeah. Still, if you're in the room with us right now, you kind of see us both tearing up. It's still really hard for us to talk about that night because it was, it was scary for both of us. It was scary for Stacy. I think she was, like she just said, I mean, didn't want to die but didn't want to live in the mind you had. No. That's, that's how you've said it to me before. So many times. That's exactly the way I felt. I was just like, how can things change fast enough for me to not take my life? And I couldn't come up with an answer. And so fortunately, uh, the Lord spared my life um, and the lives of people around me because that was not something that I was taking into mindfulness uh, was uh, that I could hurt other people. I just knew I wanted to hurt myself. And for me, you know, I look back on that that night and kind of that whole week and that, that whole month, really, and just realized I was, I felt like the guy that was in a completely black hallway with no light, just trying to feel my way along, but didn't have a clue of what to do, how to get to the door, how to find help. And and I'd never felt that way in my life before. I at least always felt like I could kind of figure things out or figure out what to do. And I remember in that moment, I had no clue. I had no clue how to help you. You know, we're trying to do our best for our kids. And it was a scary place. Yeah. Um, fortunately, you had already been for about a month or so seeing a therapist. And that therapist really began pushing hard at that time. Uh, for you to, to go to the hospital. And I even remember asking the therapist, and I've, I've kind of said this in many times since then, it's like, how do you check into a mental hospital? <laughs> I had no clue. I mean, what do you do? And so she said, well, go to the ER, and she gave us some things. So we literally went to the emergency room of a regular hospital. You know, a young attending doctor came in to see us. We're honestly trying to have to convince him that something needs to happen. I'm thinking they're going to put us there at the hospital to get some help. They basically say, hey, leave the ER because where we're going to send you is across town. So then all of a sudden we're driving across town. We're leaving the hospital to drive, just you and me, drive across town. And we get to another facility where we, we check in or start the check-in process and maybe just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I can just remember feeling so, so scared, and that I was afraid that I was going to, at that point, once I was back with Doug, lose our children. I knew that people were seeing around us me falling apart, and I felt like it was on steroids how people were seeing me, how quickly and how vividly people were seeing that happen. And so when we got back together and we both agreed that I needed to go get help in a mental hospital per se, like I thought, okay, well, I'll just go to Deaconess or Baptist Hospital or Mercy Hospital and they'll let me just sleep for a few days and get me on some good medication that won't work against my mind and against my actions um, and against my thought process. Well, when we got to the ER, 
they got Doug out of the room as quickly as they could and started questioning me about how he was abusing me. And that was not happening. That was not a part of our story. And so they, a caseworker came in at that time and just said, Stacy, what do you want? What do you need? We were dressed like ministers. I had on like nice clothes. I didn't look like somebody who had attempted suicide 12 hours before, 10 hours before. Yeah. And Doug came in dressed nice. We, You know, people, we have a st- stereotype, a stigma that we think that people are going to look like when they're wanting to live or when they've been suicidal or what they would look like pre-suicidal um and you can't go by the stereotypes that 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 totally depletes anything that you would think of for a person for you to think you know what a person's next step is when they say i am scared i don't feel good my mind hurts i I don't want to be here i think that says something we we're far enough down this journey now. A number this was a number of years ago that we can almost kind of, in, in a weird way, smile about that. That we literally got dressed up to go to the mental hospital to yeah. try to portray a certain image, to yeah. try to portray we need to be here, but we don't need to be here. And 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 you know, um, we're going to talk a lot about this throughout the course of the podcast. Denial, mm-hmm. uh, so many different factors that all played into this. Um, but I remember we got there, you know, it's getting real. I mean, it's going to be locked down. You're going to have no access to the outside world for certain number of hours. I mean, certain number of days, I'm sorry. Um, you know, and I could just see the panic in your eyes just growing by the second. Well, one of the main reasons why I was getting more and more afraid by the, by the minute, by the second, is because I was not resisting help. And so I, I was too tired. I was too sick. So I could only imagine if I was resisting what my life was going to look like for the next few weeks, days, weeks, yeah. months. And I was going, wow, I've come to see a few people in mental situations, mental challenges at places. But this time it's me and I'm scared to death. And I just kept looking at Doug and I kept looking at you just going, Please rescue me. Please help me. How how can I live but not have to be here? They literally told me, Stacy, if you want to get out during the day, you have to smoke because that's how you get to go outside. Other than that, you need to just be on your bed literally 24 hours a day. That was going to be what my treatment looked like. And, there and you are, didn't smoke. So and you, I didn't smoke. So, so you weren't going to get a break. You know, so, so we... So we so in that moment, in that instant, and usually I'm a very mm-hmm. think it through, plan it out kind of person. Those of you that meet me or know me would know that about me. But I just reacted. And I took Stacy by the hand, probably what felt like the last second we could get out before the door la- the door locked on us, and we left. And I knew as I walked out of the room that there'd be hell to pay with your therapist. But I also knew in my heart of hearts, this was not the right solution. So again, we're not counselors, we're not therapists, so we're not recommending the same course of action because we're going to get more into our story because we did get help, we did find the place, we did um, take the next steps. But in that moment, we left, and I remember this vividly, right next door to the mental hospital was, a, I think it was a little... Eero place. Mm-hmm. And I don't like Eros anyway, but but we drove out of the parking lot just to get out of the parking lot so they couldn't come after us. <laughs> and 
and we get over to the Euro place and we park in the parking lot. And I just remember I was driving the car, just putting it in park and just burying my head onto the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. And I was probably sobbing because I just had no clue. Again, I felt like I'd made the right decision to, to for us to leave, but I did not know what to do. And we had heard about a place uh, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was 100 miles away. And for some reason, I think maybe God just was reminding me of that place, that popped into my, lo- my mind like a light of hope. Mm-hmm. And I said, tomorrow we're going there. So that's the second part of our story, which we're going to uh, uh, talk through in episode two. We're going to we're going to come back in episode two, because really, this is where I'd say, Stacy, when you agree, recovery begins. Probably almost that evening, that night, if you had to pinpoint, where did your recovery story start? Not your mental health story, but your recovery story probably began that night in many ways. I would say so. I would definitely say so. And before we close this out today, one one thing that I really want to emphasize is... Our prayer for you is that you will be surrounded by people who you can trust. I was not in a position to make choices for myself at that point because my choices were to be um, not here anymore. That's not okay. That is not an option. I needed to look to Doug. I was looking to him to help rescue me but yet also get me to another safe place because he is not a professional and I was sick. And so surrounding yourself with people who you can trust when you are in those moments of um, unclear unclear thinking uh, that will help you to get hope and help, that's very important because God used my husband and he can use other people in your life to help rescue you in those times when you need it the very, very most. I went to the restaurant with him. We were sitting in the car, and he did have his head on the steering wheel. And I was I fell asleep in his lap because I was so exhausted of the process. And that's the best I had slept in a long time because as scared as I was to get help, I felt better knowing that's exactly what we were going to do. You say I, I helped rescue you, and, and yet I would say both of us would agree our rescue um, in life, in this moment, in this journey has come from God. And, and I really believe that God stepped in there and rescued us that night and gave us a glimmer of hope. Um, you know, anything I've learned along the way has certainly been learned the hard way, and we were learning a lot of hard lessons together in that moment. So we want to close out and uh, in, in each episode leave uh, our listeners with something you can hold on to, um, some hope, uh, something we've learned. So Stacy, why don't we close out tonight? Though we're kind of getting into the the end of our story, uh, or really the end the end of the this this point of it, and then the the beginning of recovery. Uh, so we've kind of gone down, and we're going to start coming up again here the next episode. But through this process. God has really given you a life verse. Mm -hmm. What's that life verse and what does that mean to you? It's a short verse, which does not mean anything other than I knew I could memorize it quick, but God has used it in mighty, mighty ways for me. 
It's from Psalm 118, 17, and it says, I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. And man, that is a short verse, but it is hard. It is hard for me every morning to get up and commit to life. And if you've never experienced that, maybe you know somebody who has. But I know and I walk this out to this day that I have to get up in the morning and make my bed so that I don't get back in it. And like clockwork, don't put a thing off. Go in and brush my teeth and wash my face and get dressed and get get my day started. Because I know without a doubt the enemy does not want any of that to happen. So I will not die. That's a commitment. That's an action that I've committed to. Even though my mind screams to not be here. I get it. I know. My mind is not quiet. It's never been quiet. And it's amplified seemingly the older I get, even though I'm not old. And so, and it says, I will proclaim what the Lord has done. And that's what I want to do with this podcast with, with Doug. And that is just to say, you know what? I'm here and you are here for a purpose. There are no mistakes here walking on this earth. You are not a mistake no matter what you have done. If that were the case, I would not be here. And the Lord has spared my life so many times. And we just feel like this is the next step. We, um, we've we been where you are, perhaps. We're still walking the path. By no, means, by no means is any of this behind us. I still have to push myself every day to try to eat my food. And my friends and my husband and my family will attest to this. It's not easy. I really, really have to... Um, Push myself. Yeah, that's my verse. Um, I will not die but live and proclaim what the Lord has done in any way. That can be me walking into Target and meeting with a, a worker there and letting them know what God's doing in my life all the way to my next door neighbor. So that's my verse. Well, Stacy, you give me hope every day is the way you live out your life. And, and that's our goal for you listening okay. to this podcast, that uh, these words, this story, Um, would be words of life and hope for you as well. So tune in next week, episode two. We're going to talk about uh, where the recovery journey really begins. And and there's not an end yet. We're still on that journey. Um, But we're living out recovery as as a couple. Hope you come back. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.